The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is Young Lion King, Carl Fredericks, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be discussing the latest COVID update, NJPW Strong, Moxley vs. Nagata, answering your questions and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prosentees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, happy early birthday, man. How you doing? That's right. That's right. It's going to be my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, so what did uh, you and the listeners get me? Well, I, I don't know what the listeners got you, but um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, there, there is a gift for you. One of your gifts is, is arriving tomorrow. Uh, oh, bro, I was just joking. You don't have to <laughs> give me anything. What the heck? Well, I already <laughs> did. I already did. So the, the deed's done. Um, nice. Well, that'll be cool. Um, yeah, man. Um, this coming weekend, we got the uh, Joshua Smith, age thirty-three, brew hop tour in Dunedin, Florida. Um, yeah, we're gonna hit all eight breweries in the Dunedin, in the Greater Dunedin area downtown um, over I don't know, like six, seven-hour period. And I've got it mapped out, literally place to place. By the minute, how much time we're spending in each location, what the travel times are, walking distances. So I've got the whole thing set, you know. So that's where we're going to be. Uh, Social Suplex will be in full effect Saturday night. Yeah, Social Suplex, Largo Loop will we'll be out to celebrate Joshua Smith, 33 years old, the oldest 33 years old. will do his best that day. Yeah, the oldest 33-year-old <laughs> out there. Um, yeah, man. And, you know, I've got a game plan going because, I mean – Eight breweries is a lot, but I'm also thinking over seven hour period. That's quite a lengthy, you know, that's a lot of length. So what I'm going to do here 
to make sure that I don't get completely tanked on my birthday, I'm going to like probably keep it around the four to five percent range. Right. Mm-hmm. Sours, maybe lagers, that sort of thing. And I'm going to limit myself to one drink per place. I might even go like get get those little goblets, like the half servings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Keep it chill because, I mean, I don't want to be looking a fool um, the way I did on my 30th birthday. Because <laughs> <laughs> on, my, on my 30th birthday, it was not good. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it should be a fun time hanging out with the crew. I think most of us are all all vaccinated that are going out. So, some of us are vaccinated, and we're still not going out. Apparently, yeah. Well, we, well nothing's changed for James Boyd. You know, <laughs> COVID, no well, COVID. That man is staying in the house. That's not true. He's he has attended other birthdays of mine that were out and about in the in the wild. But uh, I don't know. I guess like you know, you get used to a certain lifestyle, and then. <laughs> You know, (laughs) and, you know, that kind of reminds me of what we're going to talk about here today. You know, the more things seem to change, the more they seem to just stay the same. And it's about literally a year ago that we were doing shows where there's no shows running, there's no shows upcoming. What the fuck are we going to talk about? (laughs) Yeah, man. Here we are again, man. Yeah, very crazy around the same time, you know, we had to kind of like scramble first couple of weeks to a couple of random shows and then we did the the final countdown best of Super Juniors uh review of all the finals. Then we did the the voting uh gimmick. Uh we talked about AJ Styles, uh Nakamura, um Shibata. So that, that was a lot of fun, but I mean, we we do have um New Japan Strong to talk about in the coming weeks. Um, we also got a few, a few other things plans for you, especially for next week. We got a uh, interview lined up for you guys, and that, that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I mean, depending on how things go, we might need to start stocking up on those interviews. You know, it's something that like we've always been able to do. We just like I don't know, we're lazy. Like we just don't. <laughs> well, I, I mean, uh, on normal weeks, I mean, we're, we're three hours. You know, covering everything that's going on in New Japan, especially this past year with so many uh, road to shows and shows and tours and stuff like that. Um, even just a whole run. I mean, there's always been plenty of content to talk about. And so it's, it's kind of hard to fit in, you know, the interviews and do these, these extra content, but especially like during these lifetimes that we definitely yeah, need them. He- Here's the thing, though, is like you and I, man, we're professionals. If we needed to chop this thing down to two hours, we legit could. It's just we enjoy the art of the conversation. We just talk and talk and talk. And uh, it's not like we're limiting ourselves or holding ourselves back. Like if we if we wanted to do a smooth one hour podcast, I'm sure we could fucking do it. And same thing with having guests on. You know what I mean? Like give them 30, 45 minute, you know. You know, main event slot. You know, <laughs> I can open up for that shit. That's fine. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what the, the game plan is going for. But we do have an interview uh, locked in for next week. But uh, I mean, it's next week. Are we going to tell people like who it is? I mean, it's. Yeah, I mean, I was going to wait until we maybe we got to the strong. But should I just go ahead and let? Okay. Them... No, I don't know. You're it. it... You run this show, like that's fine. I just I thought you were just holding off in general. I'm like, bro, it's next week. Like, wait. no, no, I was gonna wait till <laughs> till we get the straw to kind of to announce who was coming on the show next week. Uh, nice. So if you're just listening now, you know, make sure you stay on with us till at least 
we get to strong so you can figure out who the fuck it is. Right. We, we got to, you know, hook them, you know, tease them out through the show, make sure they watch through all the quarter bro, hours. No, bro. That's not how podcasts work. We get their download <laughs> and then we get paid off the advertising for that. That's about it. Like, we're good. <laughs> nah, man. I'm trying if, to. If you're, if you're clicked on this shit, like, we got you. I'm trying to get these demos, you know. I'm trying to get that 18 to 49, make sure the quarter hour four is up, you know. I, I feel very, very strongly that the 18 to 49 demo is exactly our – that's 98% of our demo target audience, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to make sure that they stay strong, you know, they're not, they're not you know, jumping podcasts. Got to gotta hook them in. Like how – I really do wonder how many miners and – over 50s are actually listening to this podcast i would venture to say over under five do you think that there's i know spotify does offer um demographics so i'll have to look at our our spotify numbers and see like what where we're at with the the demos there it kind of gives you a baseline of kind of what your show does across all platforms so yeah i'm pretty sure yeah yeah i guess that's I guess that's a good way to do it, I suppose. I think like 18 to 34 is, I think it's definitely like the, the core uh, listener base. It would have to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have to uh, talk about the, the, the latest COVID update and what's going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So if you, you haven't been paying attention, you're kind of checked out and not sure what's going on. Got the update here for you. There's been three uh, COVID uh, reports since we last recorded, last talked to you guys last week. Um, so first update came from uh, May 5th, and this is from trade from. When you said May, I was thinking like Harold May, and I was like, oh, God, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not from Harold May. It's, it's, uh, this update was posted on May 5th, and it's, all this is coming from uh, NJPW1972.com. So first update here, two NJPW wrestler wrestlers have tested positive for COVID-19 on New Japan Pro Wrestling Talent is subject to daily temperature monitoring as well as blood oxygen saturation checks and frequent testing. Before the Road to Dantaku tour began, all wrestlers and staff returned negative PCR tests, clearing them for competition on the morning of May 4th. Wrestling Dantaku Day 2 event, two wrestlers presented a high temperature. and According to protocol, they were taken for immediate testing while those had close contact with individuals in the last two events removed from proceedings, NJPW has learned that the individuals' tests were positive for COVID-19. The two are currently experiencing mild symptoms and are acting under medical advice for treatment and recovery. Other wrestlers, as well as staff who have been in contact with the individuals, are currently being thoroughly monitored in a controlled environment and receiving relevant tests. Updates will be provided in due course. New Japan Pro Wrestling apologized for the inconvenience as concern caused by the sudden card change in the news associated on the May 4th event. In addition to aforementioned regular health monitoring, the requirement of masks during warm-ups and backstage, as well as the provision of packaged food to minimize outside interactions are all enforced at New Japan Pro Wrestling events. Moving forward, NJPW will look forward to improve its COVID-19 countermeasures and do everything possible to ensure staff, wrestler, and fan safety. Once again, deeply apologize for the concern caused to fans and personnel and ask for understanding. So like I said, that was May 5th. That was kind of the first announcement we got. We knew watching Don Taku uh, night two that wrestlers got pulled. There was a card shakeup. Uh, they were experiencing fever. And then we found out it was actually two of the guys actually tested positive for COVID. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, you know, the initial 
kind of thing. Uh, we had already kind of discussed this last week when we saw, you know, certain wrestlers pulled from the card. I mean, the junior, um, the IWGP junior heavyweight title match was scrapped altogether, you know, so that, that kind of tells you, you know, that, and we, we knew that individuals that were involved in that six man tag were kind of held back plus some of the, the other preliminary wrestlers. So, I mean, you can kind of do the math and figure out who that's related to. I've heard rumors. I mean, you and I haven't talked, so like I've heard rumors of who the two individuals were. I've I haven't seen any corroborated, you know, um, reports though that state specifically who the initial two were. I think we kind of speculated last week on the air, but um, right, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because they've been pretty forthcoming about. I mean, this right here everything that they just printed in this initial press release is much more forthcoming and um, transparent than the other big two companies or any of the other wrestling companies. And I'm, I'm saying that un- unbiasedly, like it tells you exactly, it gives you a clear picture of what the protocols are, what they did, you know, what they've been doing to prevent, you know, any kind of outbreaks and then, you know, what, what's kind of occurred, but it is interesting that they haven't like released any names, I guess for probably, privacy or maybe like i don't know if they have hippo over there but you know stuff to that extent you know right yeah like like you i have seen two names that have been heavily rumored to be the two the initial two that have tested positive for covid i've seen some of the low level uh dirt sheets kind of running with that information and putting that out there and people believing it but new japan has not released the names there's nothing been official i haven't seen anything from the you know highly accredited news sources like dave Meltzer. Um, you know, any of the, those, you know, Sean Ross Saps. I haven't seen anything come from those guys on confirmed. These are the names. New Japan hasn't said anything. So as of right now, the, t- the initial two names are just kind of rumored names based off of people pulled from the card. The only thing we had heard from um, individuals close to the company is that there were that they were intentionally keeping the names out of the public, you know, to respect the wishes of those that were involved. So, I mean, I don't think you have to be a rocket science to figure out who got pulled uh, from night one to night two of Dantaku or anything like that. But, uh, you know, me personally, I kind of err on the side of like, if those names are out there, I'd say it. But I actually don't have, we don't have any corroborated reports to actually declare this is in fact who who was infected. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and be like X, Y, and Z wrestler had it because I don't actually know. Right. And that, 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 that is the truth. If, if it was out there and it was public knowledge, then I, we would just say it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so then uh blow number two here in, in this COVID news came a couple days later. Here, I, I, I read this one. I, right. I want to get some reading in. All right, go um, uh, hooked on phonics, May 7th. Um, Friday, May 7th, the Japanese government announced an extension to the state of emergency currently in place in Tokyo and other prefectures in light of this announcement, as well as uh, current COVID-19 infection status. In order to prevent any potential further spread of the virus, New Japan Pro Wrestling has arrived at the decision to postpone the Wrestle uh, Grand Slam events in Yokohama Stadium and the Tokyo Dome previously scheduled for May 15th and the 29th, respectively. NJPW deeply uh, apologizes to all fans looking forward to these events for the inconvenience and disappointed disappointment caused. New dates for both events are currently being finalized. More information will follow as soon as it becomes available. 
All tickets for both events will be valid. Please retain your ticket. Any ticket holder who cannot attend on the rescheduled date will be eligible for a refund. At present, we ask for your understanding and patience until rescheduled dates are confirmed. Keep checking back on NJPW1972.com for further information on Wrestle Grand Slam as well as other events on the NJPW schedule going forward. Yeah, so Wrestle Grand Slam, we already had the, the Road to Wrestle Grand Slam shows canceled due to the state of emergency. And so now Yokohama Stadium canceled, Tokyo Dome canceled. And like you mentioned at the top of the show, very airy, very similar to last year where we kind of concluded, I was at the New Beginning Tour, getting ready for New Japan Cup, a really big show, and then canceled uh, due to COVID. And now here we are again a year later, just finished up the Wrestling Dantaku Tour. A lot of great buzz coming off the Osprey-Shingo match. And now the these two big shows off the map here. So we've decided to do simply the best. This is a uh, best of the Super Juniors tag team uh, tournament um, recap. So we're going to go through the history of New Japan. We're going to recap every single best Super Juniors <laughs> tag title tournament, and you know all the finals. And we're going to do we're going to redo the Tina Turner simply the best uh, song for that one. So. <laughs> You guys look forward to that. There's going to be some bangers in that one. <laughs> yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, uh, it's very similar circumstances. Obviously, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that the company is shutting down or anything like that during this time. Um, the, the reality is there is there's an outbreak in the company. Um leaving them with less people to perform because if you kind of compare what's going on the the lockdown that they've kind of imposed has basically just made it to where you can't have greater than 5000 attending uh, to a show and we've seen plenty of shows this year with New Japan especially in Tokyo and Cork and Hall where they've had quite a few less than 5000 the reason they're not currently holding shows is Simply because, well, A, I think they were planning to run the two big stadium shows. That kind of got thrown out the window. I'm assuming that because that got thrown out the window, any potential dates on their regular haunts like Corkin and different places in, in the area, those probably those dates are probably filled. So they probably don't have an immediate you know, um, uh, opportunity to just jump in and start doing road twos. Plus, what is it even pointing to? A lot. There's a lot of questions to be answered. I think they kind of get got to get their feet uh, back underneath them. But number three, the biggest one is they need talent to perform and to draw. And they have an outbreak of COVID-19 within the company. And I think that they're a trying to stay socially responsible for the fans in attendance. I mean, how can you ensure the safety of those attending when the people performing? could potentially be, you know, um, exposed. And then, you know, the same thing with the, the, the actual performers and the staff themselves, just making sure everybody's healthy and good to go. Um, and so I think that's kind of the reason why right now there's there's no current dates even, you know, listed. Right, yeah, all, all the May dates are canceled. As of right now, it seems like the June dates are in place with uh, Dominion and the Kazuna Road Tour, but obviously – Cards have to change. They could change it all up depending on when they're going to reschedule Yokohama Stadium and, and the second Tokyo Dome show. I don't know if they're going to 
come back and just stick with the schedule and then maybe do those shows at the end of the summer or maybe flip-flop and come right back to Yokohama and uh, Tokyo Dome and then do Dominion later, like kind of they had to set up with their schedule. So it'll be interesting to see what happened. I'll see, you know, uh, Kazuchika Okada was one of the, the guys that was pulled off of that night two card and he was main eventing the Tokyo Dome. So like you mentioned, you know, you got to have these names. You got to have guys that can draw and they, they potentially could not have had one half for their, their big main event there in the Tokyo Dome. So makes a lot of sense here to while they're, while they're canceling these shows. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I'm kind of like jumping the gun here because I'm assuming this next uh, report is about, you know, the other individuals that have kind of outbroken with uh, COVID, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. So then May 9th, two days later after the, the Tokyo Dome and Yokohama Stadium report, Got another update from NJW1972.com. says, as a result of PCR testing conducted across the roster following the May 4th Wrestling Dantaku event in Fukuoka, New Japan Pro Wrestling has learned of seven positive tests for COVID-19. As previously reported, two wrestlers who presented with a fever on the day of May 4th event were immediately tested in accordance with COVID protocols with the tests returning positive. In light of this news, all those who had close contact with the infected parties, in addition to every wrestler on the roster, received PCR tests, with a further seven wrestlers testing positive. All those who tested positive are experiencing mild symptoms or are asymptomatic, according to protocols and under medical advice. All are isolating and receiving appropriate treatment. New Japan Pro Wrestling has a strictly implemented COVID-19 policy drawn up under expert advice and guidance. This includes daily temperature and blood oxygen saturation checks, as well as regular PCR testing. All attendees are temperature screened on entry to venues. Masks are required during training and backstage, and packaged food is provided to in order to limit unnecessary movement outside. However, we take these developments extremely serious and are working to further strengthen our COVID-19 countermeasures in the future. NJPW deeply apologize for the concern caused of fans and personnel and ask for your understanding. So, yeah. I mean, um, there's some things to kind of unload when it comes to to everything that we've just heard. So, I mean, you know, I kind of alluded to to this just a moment ago, the fact that there's been an outbreak in New Japan. And, you know, it's one of those things where wrestling is a high-risk activity when it comes to transmission of COVID-19 or coronavirus just because – you know, uh, we know that this thing is spread through droplets and, you know, breath and air particles, that sort of thing. And I mean, these guys are literally on top of each other, breathing on each other, sweating profusely, you know, gasping and, you know, everything like that. So, I mean, this was probably at some point bound to happen. Um, the big difference to the best of our knowledge doesn't mean it couldn't have possibly happened in the past, but up to now, there haven't been any situations where positive tests have become public knowledge or, you know, occurred with, with new Japan. Um, and one thing I will commend them on is a, well, just the way they've handled COVID-19 in general, but B the fact that there have been multiple outbreaks with both AEW and WWE and by extension NXT over the past year. I mean, Many, many, many of them. I don't think at any point you ever saw either of those two companies coming out, putting out public statements and actually numbering the amounts of people that 
were affected by coronavirus. You know what I mean? Right. It's, um, it's always been kind of hush hush. Uh, cars just randomly change with no explanation, and you, you just don't. You assume you, you you know you you look at who's missing, like oh well, they probably have it. <laughs> now I will say, like with AEW, they have definitely had moments where when individuals want to come forward and say that they've had coronavirus, there, there've been no repercussions for that. And it's, you know, like for instance, when, when certain individuals thought that thought that they might've had it and just came in contact and have pulled themselves like John Moxley and others, the company has been more than willing to say that, but they've never come out and been like these eight individuals or, you know, whatever the case is, same thing with NXT. And we know that, just from the reports and from the people we talked to in the company, there have been so many outbreaks <laughs> right. with fans and wrestlers um, in NXT. So, I mean, I, I think it is commendable for New Japan. I think on the surface, someone looking on the outside can see and they're like, oh, my God, seven people got corona. Well, it's like, yeah, up to now, to the best of our knowledge, only seven people have gotten it. And the company is being completely outright you know, honest and forthcoming about the fact that this is what has happened. Here's what we've done to prevent it. Here's what we're doing going forward. Um, which I think is great. You know, um, I think even I've had some qualms about the testing procedures in the past and that I think that they're pretty much laying out what goes on. They say that they're getting quote unquote regular PCR testing. What does that mean exactly? We don't know. What we do know is it does not mean that they're getting tested before every show. They're not. Um, most, most likely to me, it sounds like they're getting tested at the beginning of tours before they join the tour. And then they're probably trying to live in a bubble. Right. Like in that first statement in May 2nd, it said that testing was done at the beginning of the road to wrestling on Taku tour. So yeah, from that reading, it sounds like, all right, at the beginning of the tour, we're going to test you. And then, yeah, you kind of, I remember earlier last year, they were talking about tracking where they're going to make sure that. They kind of do the contact tracing. So it sounds like you, you get tested at the beginning of the tour and then kind of do that contact tracing to make sure you're, you're not going kind of outside the bubble. So, Yeah, and I think that they're handling this with as much, uh, you know, dignity and responsibility as they possibly can. You know, I don't want to diminish COVID-19 by any stretch of the imagination. My girlfriend works in the medical field and so we kind of we know firsthand the impact that this can have on people's lives and everything like that you know um i think the good thing here though is you know generally speaking just based on numbers individuals who um are in health are in good health you know within this age range you know statistically shouldn't have too many you know long-term issues and from the reports i've seen for the individuals that did contract this, that, that the reports are going on about, they've kind of said that most of them just had mild, um, symptoms and weren't dealing with anything, you know, like hospitalization or, you know, extreme, uh, symptoms, that sort of thing. So based on that information, it's, it's very likely that all individuals who have this probably will make speedy recoveries and, you know, probably won't be the worse off afterwards, but, you do never know, you know, everybody responds to it differently. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. It's the world we've been living in for the past year. And, you know, I hope everybody is doing okay. I think that new Japan is, has made the right decision though, for the time being not to run shows until they kind of get everything handled. 
Yeah, it's definitely yeah, the, the best call here. Like you mentioned, yeah, it's, it's a big thing. A year in and only seven that we know of positive cases where you mentioned other promotions, major promotions, WWE, AEW, have had, have been going for, running throughout the year and have had several cases. Uh, we probably don't even know the full accurate count of, and, you know, they've been having right. supposed tighter, um, you know, measurements. They've, they've been testing, well, AEW has been testing before every show and then slowly WWE kind of follows suit, so... And here's the thing, too, is like, you know, they, they, they basically outlined procedure. These individuals all tested negative before they went on the um, road with them. Is it possible that they contracted something along the way during the tour? Yes. It sounds like they're trying to put every measure, measurement in place to, you know, prevent that from happening. There's also the case where not all tests are accurate. And sometimes people will be positive and will be carrying COVID and they're so early into it that they're not going to pop a test early on, but later on they will. And I think that that's also a possible likelihood. You know, someone could have come in contact with something, had it, got tested, tried to do their best. They didn't know. And then it spread. That sort of stuff happens all the time. And it, you know, just statistically speaking, these things were bound to happen at some point. And I think that's something that was kind of known by the wrestlers and those kind of undertaking the risk. Wrestling itself is a risk. Um, so, I mean, like you said, I think it's kind of amazing so far that they haven't had any other positive tests. Now, is it possible that individuals have gotten um, infected with COVID throughout this past year with New Japan and maybe were asymptomatic and nobody knew that is possible. And in fact, it's probably likely just statistically speaking, but you know, the fact that the company has kind of gone through all this rigor and, and trouble to do the best that they can, I, I think it speaks to, you know, the quality of them as a company. Yeah, definitely. I have a couple questions here. Uh, first from our user PSAN 91. It says, hi guys. Sorry. I haven't wrote in with a question in a while. But I've just been getting used to my new job and life here in Yokohama. In terms of NJPW canceling both the Yokohama Stadium and Tokyo Dome shows, how much of it do you think was down to social responsibility? And how much of it was it down to NJPW having their own outbreak of COVID? I recently was watching the Japanese news and it said that pro baseball leagues and soccer in concerts are allowed to keep running shows even during recently extended state emergency as long as they are capped to 5,000 fans or half the capacity of the arena. To put it into perspective, Stardom is running a show in Corkin this Friday with an audience and they will run Ota War Gymnasium at the end of May. To be fair, both of these venues are on a much smaller scale in terms of attendance compared to Yokohama Stadium or Tokyo Dome. But I thought it was curious Stardom is still running shows as we all know they are owned by the same parent company, Bushi Road, as NJPW. Anyway, thanks to both you guys and the guests you have had on in recent weeks for getting me through my long commutes to and from work. Thank you. We appreciate that and uh, happy to help. <laughs> uh, what was the question? <laughs> so the question was, how much of them canceling the shows do you think it was down to social responsibility and how much was it down to NJBW having their own outbreak of COVID? I think that's pretty much the same thing. Um I think that because they had their own outbreak, 
they had a social responsibility. I don't – now let me be clear here. I don't think that everything they do is 100 percent altruistic and they're just canceling from the goodness of their own heart or anything like that. Right. I think if New Japan had the venues and the talent base to run shows as needed, they would do it. You know, In fact, they've shown their willingness to do that all year long since they've returned from the initial you know, shutdown. Um, and there's nothing, and I'm not even saying that, that that's bad. I'm just saying that, you know, they got to have dates. They got to have tickets sold. They got to have guys that people want to see wrestle. And those guys need to fit into the narrative of the, the stories that they're telling in the, you know, the booking. And unfortunately we were literally about to go into two stadium shows. What were those stadium shows going to be like? What was it going to be booked like? You know, who the fuck knows? We don't, re- <laughs> you know, in a sense, this might've been a blessing in a disguise, not to say that it's good that anyone got COVID, but you know, the fact that like those shows were probably going to be messes, honestly. Um, I had a lot of concerns about those two shows. Right. We, now that they, they already okay. had, they already had dropped the road to shows. There was nothing really to, to build those shows. And then coming off of Don Taku night too, like, very little angle set up there. It was nothing really to, to advertise. We only knew half of the main event of the Tokyo Dome, nothing for Yokohama stadium. We never even heard about like how many tickets they had sold initially, what the goals were, nothing. We didn't have cards laid out. So maybe this will be a, a brief reprise and give them an opportunity to build something for real the next time. I don't know. But, um, I said that to say this is like, who the fuck knows like if they were going to try to do shows right now what those shows would look like what are they even trying to you know build to are these road to shows are these going to be special events are they one also you know like what's the deal we don't know so i mean there's that aspect of it like from a business booking pers- perspective i think they need a little bit of a reset in this situation because they didn't expect this from a social perspective yeah, I mean, seven people had outbreaks. Uh, seems like several of them were probably high up people that, you know, would, uh, you know, basically be in top spots is what I'm getting at. And the company's shown a willingness all year to call audibles, put people, I mean, just look at Desperado and different things like that. You know, when the time comes and it's needed, they can audible. But, you know, when you have seven guys down and if, two or three of those guys might hypothetically be, you know, top built guys, you know, what do you do? And, and you don't have the dates. And I mean, it's, they were kind of at a point where they, I think they just needed to not run the shows, <laughs> especially since they are stadium shows. Yeah. Their, their backs were, were up against the walls pretty much at, the, at this point. And yeah, I think that they made the right call here. Like I totally agree with everything you were saying. And yeah, it's kind of a mix of both. I mean, for the safety of the the rest of the roster and the fans, it definitely made a ton of sense to cancel these shows. And then as far as just kind of them being the number one pro wrestling company in the country, um, you know, everybody's looking at them and kind of setting the example. Um, I think they kind of felt like that social responsibility. I mean, that's why they, you know, they, they canceled those road to shows even before um, they found out about the positive COVID test. So I think that had to play a part of it um, as far as stardom continuing to run um, again, I don't mean, I don't, I'm not really, I've kind of been out of the stardom loop right now. I'm also, uh, James Boyd has been doing a great job on One Nation Radio, kind of keeping us all up to date what's going on in the stardom world. But I know the, the Cinderella, uh, tournament, I believe is coming up, but I don't know exactly if they, there's any big venues planned for that show. And so it might be a little bit easier for them 
to keep going with, with the Cork and Hall shows, um, like the one that's coming up this Friday in the, the Ultra War Gymnasium Stowe. And I'll see uh, probably a, a smaller crowd that they're working with there too as well. So um, it was probably just easier for them to keep running those shows. Yeah, I agree. Next question here from Dom Homie 101. He says, with the cancellation of both the stadium and dome show, what direction does New Japan take when they restart? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, from all the preliminary reports we're hearing, um, and that's pretty much all we can go off, they are still planning to hold both of these, uh, you know, stadium shows when the time is right. And, you know, the early indications that we're hearing is that they're going to probably jump right back into those stadium shows if possible. So, I mean, that would make the most logical sense to me because it doesn't disrupt whatever hypothetical long-term booking scenarios they had in place. You know, these are the shows we're going to do, we're going to do them and we just roll right on. Um, But, you know, we've heard the same thing before with like, say wrestle dynasty last year, it was going to get postponed and rebooked and maybe it still will someday, but it's not happening in 2021. So who really knows? Um, But, you know, I don't even know what, what's on the docket for, June or anything yeah, like so that. I have the, the June schedule up uh, right here. So they're planning to do Road to Dominion shows at Cork and Hall on uh, June 1st, June 2nd, and then a Road to Dominion show June 4th at Oda City Gymnasium. And then uh, June 6th was going to be Osaka Joe Hall uh, Dominion. And then June 14th to July 2nd was going to be the Kazuna Road Tour um, with looks like uh, kicking off in Cork and Hall and then running several different venues uh, throughout the rest of June and July. Pretty much, yeah. Um, and so as far as what direction they're, they're going to take when they restart, it's hard to say. I mean, like we said, they still plan on doing these stadium shows. Um, but they do have this Dominion Tour lineup as well. I think the, the more interesting take on this question would be, what do we think, they, what should be the direction when they restart? So, Let's say Gato calls you up into the room. He's like, young boy, what what should we do when we, we restart New Japan? Oh, um, I mean, that's a, I don't know. I'm not a good booker. <laughs> I've never been good at this sort of thing. <laughs> um, I guess the direction you should go is, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> what uh, are you thinking? Like, that's uh, tough. That's a harder question than what he asked. <laughs> uh, for me, I mean, I think for them, I was like, first of all, you just kind of need to reevaluate everything that, that's happened in the last, you know, five months of this year. Look at the good, look at the bad. Like, we, we need to no more Tai Chi, um, Tamo Tonga ladder match stuff. No more creation of darkness blindfold. We need to get back to the bread and butter of New Japan. Everybody's raving about Shingo and Osprey. We need more stuff like that. More uh, two guys wanting to prove it the best, going out there, having great matches. Uh, and so, I, you know, I think they got to come back strong. You know, New Japan's received a lot of criticism this year. There's a lot of uh, fans that have kind of been brushing it off, even with great matches like Osprey and Shingo, Shingo and Tanahashi, Osprey and Saber. There have been bangers that have been happening all throughout this year, but it has not been quite enough to hook people who have been watching regularly. I mean, there are people within our circle that 
would would jump normally to watch New Japan if a, a, a quote unquote six star match comes out, and that we're not really seeing that excitement. So I, I would think, for me, I would have the, the focus kind of back in ring, kind of gets line some good stuff up. I mean, they were kind of teasing something like Cobb Ibushi. I think is something uh, really uh, interesting matchup they were uh, kind of setting up there. I would try to focus more and kind of get some some good solid singles matches that doesn't revolve around a lot of shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can tell you is, like, if I could tell you, like, some tonal changes overall with the company, you know, maybe not lean in so much to the heat, you know, heavy sort of angles and and matches and all the stipulations and everything like that. But, I mean, as far as, like, booking-wise, I don't know. I mean, I could tell you, like, the guys I think that they should be utilizing more, I mean – you know, I mean, Tomohiro Ishii comes to mind, so like maybe I push him. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would. I, that's the kind of stuff I would do is I'd push my top talent and I'd stop focusing on guys like Sonata and, <laughs> and Evil <laughs> and Evil so much. I don't know. Yeah, and, and as much as I love the the six man unit of uh, Ishii, Goto, and Yoshihashi, I feel like all three of those guys would be better utilized in singles matches in in building. Oh, you're a liar. That's a lie. That is a lie. There, you you cannot sit here and tell me with a straight face that you think Yoshihashi would be better off on his own than in this trio with Goto and and Ishii. That's a fucking lie. Don't even start. You're saying this because you want to see Ishii on his own having singles matches, and that's fine. Just be straight up. Don't sit here and say it's going to be better for Yoshihashi. It's not going to be better for Yoshihashi. You don't think that Yoshi- is a lie. You don't think Yoshihashi has a, a new uh, found confidence now that he had his first championship. He's had some bangers in this six man unit that can kind of, you know, go off on his own, spread some wings, and, and get a little uh, singles program. No, <laughs> no, he, he lives and dies with this six man team. Like as soon as they drop those belts. Yoshihashi goes back into obscurity, bro. <laughs> this is run. Uh, well, well, for sure, uh, definitely Ishii and Goto. I, I feel like no, bad. that's a lie too. You, you don't think not, Goto? Not Goto either. The only one that helps is is Ishii. Go, Goto's man. Uh, I don't know, man. I feel like if you give Goto something to sink his teeth into, he, he'll be motivated and have a great uh, singles match. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, he can always go. It's just like, you know, he's, he's the Dolph Ziggler of New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> should, should pull the trigger on that one a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and as far as like, you know, United Empire, I'll say that they've been pushing him heavy and they've been doing good, but I definitely want to see Hanare, Great Okan and Cobb picking up more wins, um, looking more dominant as well. I don't know. I, I just... When I start thinking about like the direction where I would take the direction, it's like um, it, I find it difficult when there's no IC title, mm. <laughs> you know, because I, I I think to myself like, well, I would use the never title this way, but there's no never title, you know, the never title is the new IC title, so you know, there's kind of a, a gap left behind. So I I don't know, man. I'd probably have Nagata beat Mox, have Nagata come back, and maybe we can turn the U.S. title into the Never Belt. I don't know. That, that, that's an option, and uh, we will be talking about uh, Moxley Nagata here in a second. But 
Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I definitely think that the main focus on, on the direction just needs to be more focused on the entering, like you mentioned, less heat, less shenanigans, and kind of focus on what fans really love. Well, I, I, think, I think the thing, though, is that overall, the company is still putting on fantastic matches, you know? Um, you'd be hard-pressed to find any other company that's realistically putting on any kind of, you know, in-ring product that matches up with this one. I mean... Sure, you know, you, you hear people rave about AEW and Noah and stuff like that, but pound for pound, match for match, they're not actually stacking up to the same level, you know, um, quantitatively speaking, that New Japan is. And yet New Japan is still seen as having a malaise and a downslide. I don't think it has to do so much with the in-ring product. I think it has to do with the feuds, the stories the repetitive nature of the road to shows, you know, uh, the, cr- the clap crowds. And, you know, I don't know, some of that you can fix with booking and some of you, some of it you can't, some of it's atmospheric. So, you know, uh, the, the, the overall quality is still great. You know what I mean? I don't know that that's necessarily the problem. Yeah. But what I mean by like focus in the ring is kind of like what with the feuds, like let's less you know fighting about gloves and, and bow staffs and you know inanimate objects and hoods and turning lights off and like let's the feud like we want to prove that we are better than you, so that's why we're fighting right now. Yeah, I mean there's there's some truth to that, and and I think that that's a booking, you know, issue. That being said, you know, we've kind of talked about how a lot of the formulas that Gato has followed kind of, you know, um, they fall on the fact that there are certain seasons in New Japan based on the tournaments, based on the big shows and business and everything like that. And so some of it is predictable, which is, you know, good and bad. That has completely gone by the wayside this year when it comes to COVID and everything. And I think that that's a big, you know, influence on why things seem to be the way they are. I think the fact that they've had to audible and shift time after time when they have these plans in place and they get disrupted. I mean, with all things being considered, I think Gato's done a fantastic job. Um, truth be told. I mean, it's not the same as, just booking once a week weekly television like Tony Khan. It's not. And, you know, both of those have different challenges and and everything like that. That being said, I do still think that they've allowed themselves to indulge in all the cheating and the shenanigans and the heat and everything like that. And uh, it's just become tiresome. And so, yeah, I would definitely get away from that. But, you know... Um, the other thing too is like I think that they really are at the tail end of a lot of these different um, long-term talents story arcs. You know, I'm not saying that like say for instance, a Naito needs to leave the company. I think there's a place for him and everything like that. But I mean, I would really start focusing on the younger talent that's in the company um, and preparing them. For, to take the mantle from these other guys. They, we've seen that with some individuals, obviously with uh, Will Ospreay and, and the United Empire, but um, there's some guys that I I just think might be getting underutilized or being built a little too slowly. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like Ocon. Right. And I mean, there's only so many times you can see, you know, Ishii and Goto in the G1 or, you know, Naito and Ibushi. And I'm not saying I hate those matches, but, you know, they wear out their welcome when you've done the same match time after time after time after time. And how many interesting stories are really left for some of these guys, you know? And I think that you have to start thinking about maybe maneuvering some of them into other positions in the company and preparing to to bring up the next guys. And if you don't have guys ready, you might want to start thinking about acquisitions and trying to get some of these guys on the outside, not just those who are on your New Japan Strong, but, you know, um, like Brian Danielson. Huh? I'll say uh, free to freelancers, utilizing yeah. free, freelancers in Japan. Freelancers that are in Japan might not be a bad idea. That would definitely be something for sure. Um, and then also, you know, some of the free agents that just happen to exist out there. Your Chris Heroes, your Samoa Joes, uh, maybe maybe younger guys with more upside. I don't know. But they need to do something because the, the product just feels stale right now. Right, and I know that COVID has a big issue with that too because they, they're not really bringing in a ton of the, the outside talent like normally would. I mean, a guy like Robbie Eagles, we haven't seen him since the beginning of the year, and they seem to be kind of, you know, going in and out with some of these guys. they got a fin juice and impact right now. So for whatever reason, they're kind of not bringing in a ton of guys in all at one time. Uh, but that's definitely uh, hurting the product too because you need those guys to kind of, uh, get some different matchups, get some fresh matchups, especially with the the New Japan Strong roster. That there's a ton of great guys on there that they could bring over to Japan, have some fresh matchups, inject some life into the product. Yeah. And so, uh, speaking of New Japan Strong, we're going to shift focus there. Uh, this past Friday kicked off the beginning of the Collision Tour, which is going to be a uh, four week tour here for New Japan Strong. And uh, I got to say, man, I'm really loving New Japan Strong. Uh, I'm loving the main events that are laid out for the next couple of weeks. And I really um, enjoyed this week's episode. And I feel like they have really been doing a lot of the things that we uh, talked about that, that need to change earlier on. We're, we're getting more uh, feuds, more promos, more things that are building to angles, long-going feuds, not, not these random matches. There are stuff that's uh, constantly building stuff. So... Really like the direction. Yeah, and maybe there's a chance that, you know, we already know that there's individuals working in the U.S. office that listen to this podcast. I don't know how much influence our suge- our suggestions, you know, were, but, you know, I think it's uh, kind of cool that it kind of coincides with the most recent um, set of tapings. And, you know, we were saying this maybe like five, six, seven months ago. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I'm, sh- you know, wrestling's not the most complicated thing in the world. I'm sure that most of the suggestions we made, you know, other, other brilliant, you know, pundits alike have made those same uh, suggestions or maybe even those that are in management on the booking committee, who knows? But yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, I think that there are, you know, storylines that are going, there are feuds that are, you know, kind of easy to follow, but the biggest thing is just the matches are no nonsense. They're quick. They're to the point. It's, an easy watch one hour and then you're kind of out of there and it's easy to kind of, you know, get, you know, invested in what they're doing. And I agree. I think that it's been, uh, the best thing that new Japan has done this year, honestly. Yeah. 
So th- this past week, like I mentioned, we had night one of the Collision Tour kicked off with Adrian Quest and Barrett Brown defeating LA Dojo Young Lions, Kevin Knight, and the DKC. So uh, two stories going on here. Uh, Barrett Brown, he's been looking for uh, his victory in New Japan Strong. We've been talking about the last couple of weeks. He's been you know desperate to get that win because, uh, you know, if he doesn't get wins, you know, he eventually could get cut and not be brought back to New Japan Strong. And, you know, the previous week, he, he was on the winning side of an eight-man tag, but uh, his partner stole the pinfall, so he was upset. And so, once again, we're seeing him team here with Adrian Quest. Um, and Adrian Quest, uh, quote-unquote, stole the pinfall from him, so he thought uh, they won the match. And, and then post-match, he uh, got upset and beat down Adrian Quest. And we're building to a, a feud between these guys here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is quite on the same level, but... You know, this slow build, slow burn kind of turn that they're doing with uh, Barrett Brown, like, it reminds me a bit of, like, Owen Hart in 1993 going into 1994, like, how, you know, he kind of had a chip on his shoulder and he was trying to prove that he, you know, wasn't in the shadow of his brother, but that he's his own man. And things kept, you know, inadvertently happening to, you know, just circumstances to kind of piss him off. And he was, like, a delusional heel you know right kind of the same thing with like chris jericho when chris jericho was the crybaby heel when he first turned in wcw so uh, we've seen stories you know reminiscent of this and i think that they're very effective when done right and you know it's kind of it's funny because it's like bear brown is wrestling well in these matches already like he's really asserting himself trying to show that he has what it takes and then he's not getting the W himself. The team is winning and he doesn't want to be the guy with the assist. He wants to be the guy, you know, making the slam dunk, making the game buzzer beater. Right. He, he wants and, his music played at the, at the end of the match. Right. Yeah. So like, he's a little bit of, he's almost got like short man syndrome or something <laughs> like, you know, like he's not satisfied with, with the team winning. Like it's, it, it's gotta be about him and, and his success. So, um, yeah, and it came down to a point where, you know, there was a blind tag. He had literally hit uh, Kevin Knight, or was it, I don't know, it was Kevin, yeah, I think it was Kevin Knight, hit him with the, um, you know, the, the whatever that kick is, what, what, what's that kick called that, uh, that Drew McIntyre does? Oh, the uh, Claymore. Yeah, hit him with the Claymore kick. I don't know what that's supposed to be called, but yeah, hit him with the Claymore kick. And then Adrian Quest comes in, hits him with a high-flying move, one, two, three. You know, Barrett Brown wasn't aware that there was a blind tag. He thought he was still the legal man. And, you know, Adrian Quest kind of capitalized on the moment, but Barrett Brown sort of thought that uh, he had things locked up, and he's beside himself just in sense with rage, the fact that this guy got the W, not him. Right, yeah, he cut a post-match promo, and he, like you mentioned, that kind of delusional heel, like, you know, how could you, like, you know, do this to me kind of thing, and... You know, you, you stole the win from me, kind of thing, and you're you're so selfish. And so, also, you know, Adrian was just trying to get the win for the team, and Barry Brown's kind of spinning this whole other direction here. And uh, he challenged Adrian Quest to, to face him in a, a singles match on New Japan Strong. So, I'm sure in the, in the coming weeks we'll, we'll get a, a singles match between these two guys here. Uh, and also, kind of another little side story is just you know Kevin Knight and DKC just trying to pick up a win as well as Young Lions and. Um, on the LA do- Dojo Showcase, you know, Kevin Knight kind of expressed some frustration uh, about losing as well. Um, and so both of them were just kind of like, man, we, we have to keep grinding in, in the LA Dojo. So obviously these guys are 
you know, looking to get their wins here on, on strong as well. Yeah. Then in the second match of the night, we had the NJPW Strong debut of the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, Royce Isaacs, former uh, NWA Tag Team Champion uh, with Tom Latimer. And also we, we've seen Royce Isaacs on uh, Bloodsport having that feud with Alex Coughlin. So these guys, they made their debut here, and they defeated the team of strong regulars in the Golden Boy, Jordan Clearwater, and a big poppy pump, Mysterioso. Does Jordan Clearwater have the absolute worst hair in the history of wrestling? <laughs> like, every every week he gets in, I'm like, God, who the fuck told this guy? <laughs> like, he's supposed to be they, – they talk about how his day job is he works in finance. And I'm like, God, I hope, like – He's working from home and he doesn't have to be in board <laughs> meetings. That hair is so fucking bad. Uh, I, had, I hadn't really like analyzed his hair. I, that's all I thought it was fine. Bro, it's like a mushroom on the sides <laughs> and then he's got it pulled back like, you know, like into an onion like man bun in the back. And L- then it's a little top hot. knot. Yeah, and then it's high fade and like it just doesn't make sense. It's like overflowing on the sides like a bowl cut. Like, it's really bad. It's really, really, really bad looking. Like, I don't know who did that shit. Like they, like it, it reminds me of those memes where like they 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 go to the the barber. They're like, just fuck me up, fam. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's what that's what happened. And they're like, I got you. <laughs> oh man. So uh, Jordan Clearwater and Mysterioso, they they lost here to the debuting team of the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Uh, what were your thoughts on Drill Nelson and Royce Isaacs here? Uh, I think there's some um, some bitches, bro, because they came in here. You know, they got tassels on, bro. Tassels, okay? Did they, did they have tassels on? I know that. Royce Isaacs had tassels on his boots like he was <laughs> the Texas Tornado or like British Bulldog circa 1992, right? Yeah. Well, what, what kind of wrestler are you if you got tassels on? You tell me. Your uh, high flying, exciting baby face. Yeah, you're gonna be a high flying, exciting baby face coming off the top rope, doing drop kicks, doing double elbow fist drops, shit like that. No, nah, these guys come out there and they want to wrestle like they're the world's greatest tag team, <laughs> Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. Bro, you can't come in 19, early 1990s Technicolor, you know, yeah, matching they, gear. They had Steiner Brothers like Technicolor gear on. Yeah, they had Steiner Brothers gear on and then they wrestled like they were charlie haas and shelton benjamin what the fuck bro like no actually i'm just i'm just busting their balls the reality is i really like this tag team a lot well jerrell nelson did do a uh, a suicide dive at one point so there's a little bit of high flying from them (laughs) bro it's it's 2021 everybody does everyone does that that's not i mean (laughs) jay jay lethal does a you know three of them in a row right yeah (laughs) Um, but no, for real, uh, you know, I, I never seen this team. I know Royce Isaacs. I did not know Jarrell Nelson, but you know, I'm a sucker for any team that's, you know, got a, a cool name, like the West coast wrecking crew. I mean, I'm an even bigger sucker when they come in with coordinated outfits Yes, and I've seen Royce Isaacs wrestle before and he didn't dress this way. So this is special wrestling gear that they wear as the West Coast Wrecking Crew, <laughs> right. which I'm an even bigger fan of. Um, 
yeah, they they remind me of like teams of years gone by. They remind me of like Steamboat and Youngblood, a little bit of Briscoes in there. Kind of reminded me of you know the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Um, yeah, and these guys were really technical, really hard hitting, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing them wrestle some more. Yeah, I thought they were pretty impressive. Yeah, they're a really good team. Uh, they've been on AEW Dark a couple of weeks ago. They did a couple matches on Dark and Elevation. My first time seeing them together as a team. Like I've seen Royce Isaacs uh, in NWA and then seen him on Bloodsport. Yeah, the first time I seen him, Darrell Nelson was on, on AEW Dark, and they're a real good team there. And yeah, they are really uh, good here, really impressive. Like you mentioned, uh, kind of a throwback as far as tag teams. Uh, work was really snug. They had some. They did have some great kind of a double team combos throughout the match here, and. Um, they just kind of seem to control the ring here, and um, it's kind of the veterans, so to speak, even though Clearwater and Mysterioso have been on strong longer. Yeah, they cut a promo post-match. I didn't think that was very good, to be honest with you, but, you know, um, most the majority of independent wrestlers are not good at promos because they don't have to cut very many of them. Right. But, uh, yeah, I thought these guys were super impressive. I you know, I hope to see them again. I, I just wonder who they're even going to feud with because I mean, there really are no established tag teams on strong that I can think of. Right. Which also led me to an interesting comment from Kevin Kelly during the commentary. He said that uh, in the future, there's going to be some opportunities for tag teams here on strong, which I'm thinking, do you think that they're, are they going to introduce strong tag team titles? Might as well, right? I mean, this we kind of mentioned this in the past. You know, we said that Strong is, you know, quickly becoming like the sub brand of New Japan, sort of like NXT was for and is for WWE. So, I mean, you know, I think it's just a matter of time before you see tag team titles. I mean, who knows, man? We might be on the verge of dun 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 women in New Japan Strong. <laughs> I would not be surprised at all if they're. Become, if if they introduce a women's uh, division down the line for New Japan Strong, could happen. Yeah, it's North America. It's not Japan. So I mean, right? You know, I wouldn't be surprised by that one bit. But yeah, I mean, I could see that being the case. the The big thing is like, okay, you got the Regal Twins. What other established tag teams kind of exist? Uh, unless you're counting like. The the different members of Team Filthy, you know, right? Yeah, it's Team Filthy. I mean, every once in a while, Bull Club guys pop up. You can throw a Bull Club team together. Um, the, the, Remember you know, when God was on this show and they like just run roughshod <laughs> over everybody because there was no tag teams, right? Yeah, you could obviously bring God in for some shots. Um, the LA Dojo Young Lions. I mean, it seems like uh, Fredericks and Connors will kind of be will be a team. Then you got DKC and Kevin Knight. Um, you could do like Narita and Coglin. Yeah, but those are just guys thrown together. They just happen to train together. I mean, oh, I I want to see like who are the tag teams. You know, the guys right. that like, you know, come out and and do a matching fucking intro together. You know that that kind of doesn't exist right now. So uh, these guys right here, this West Coast Wrecking Crew, they might not even really have much opposition to really go through to uh, establish themselves as like the first dominant quote-unquote tag team you know on the strong brand right and who knows maybe this is you know they're the first of many independent teams that, that get brought in to kind of help fill out this uh, tag division 
Possibly. I don't even know how many, I don't even know what tag teams exist out there, to be honest with you. Let's get, let's get the uh, Ugly Ducklings in here. Yeah. Let's get an OAO in, in here. <laughs> we'll find some teams for them. But, uh, yeah, yeah, also, too, interesting thing with post-match promo with uh, Jordan Clearwater and Mysterio. So, um, they kind of expressed disappointment in losing to, you know, a new team, new guys on strong. And Mysterio was like, man, it's, you know, come on, what's, what's going on, Clearwater? You know, we, we've been on strong for over a year now. We should be getting this win. So, there's some kind of miscommunication between those guys and it seems like they might be teaming up some more and there might be a story between Clearwater and Mysterioso going forward. Mysterioso should just fuck up Clearwater. That's what <laughs> needs to happen. <laughs> How about some of the... There were some like really terrible uh, attempts by um, freaking Alex Kozlov where he was like trying to... Um, I don't know. He was just trying to like be... Like play the, that role of like the heel commentator who just you know loves Mysterioso, and so he comes up with all these like uh, random facts, random facts, and he's like, but the way he delivers them have like no, I don't, I don't know, just no pop to them. Like there's no hotness about what he's saying. Like he's like, did you know that Mysterioso is the only man or woman alive that can divide by zero? Yeah, <laughs> and then it's totally and Kevin Kelly completely no sells the shit because you're you're supposed to usually have like that rat a tat tat between the, the you know the color commentator and the uh, you know the color guy and the play by play guy and he, and like Kevin's just like huh <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's all, there's only so much Kevin could do <laughs> it's like God and it's like I, you know. He like I get what he's trying to do. Like he's trying to do like Jesse Ventura lines or like you know like he's fucking uh you know whatever whatever his name is the dude with uh, Kenny right now uh, Don Callis. Yeah, I'm I'm tired, bro. I'm just forgetting names. But yeah, he's like doing a Don Callis stick, but like he's he's saying it with like no uh I don't know I don't know. There's just no um I don't know what the word is, but yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean conviction. There's no conviction to what he's saying. He doesn't believe what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like there could be somebody else. I, I love you, Kozlov, but I feel like there there could be somebody else that could uh, join Kevin Kelly. Bro, I think the world is listening to two of them right now. Yeah, let's let's get a three man booth going. I'll, I'll fly to California, do some Bro, tapings. I'm, I'm here on this show literally right now, trying to think of the word conviction. Can you imagine like Kevin's frustration? I'm like, what's the fucking word? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You guys just go. I don't know. Forget about it. Just go. Just go. <laughs> Are we on the air? Is this live? Can we just edit this shit out? Like I don't know. <laughs> We're live, pal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But uh, our what's man- that guy's name? <laughs> no, the guy. He, no, his his working name. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But uh, main event here on Strong this week we had the Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson and the IWGP US Champion, the Death Rider John Moxley, defeating Ren Narita and Blue Justice Eugene Nagata nine minutes eighteen seconds. Um, also, a really good main event here. Nice preview for the upcoming uh, U.S. title match uh, tomorrow on Dynamite. I, I really like the interactions between Moxley and Nagata. A lot of great um, striking there. Um, Nagata 
busting out his um, exploder suplexes. Um, he's working over the arm, uh, to do, do his you know his uh, arm bar roll in the eye back spot that he normally does, uh, and then uh, Narita and Dickinson kind of picking up where they left off when they faced off in the New Japan Cup USA. A lot of strong uh, strikes between those two. Narita, the, the suplex were look, looking great as usual. The closing stretch when he was there in, in there with Moxley, he was just uh, throwing Moxley around. Yeah, you got four of my favorite guys all mixing it up. I mean, what's not to love? If anything, I was just upset. Nine minutes, 18 seconds. This probably could have been given a little bit more time for my taste. And you could have cut down that Wrecking Crew match. I would have been fine with that. I thought that they didn't need 10 minutes, you know. But, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But, yeah, this match was great. Uh, Everyone got to shine. They got to get their shit in. Hard hitting. And, you know, at the end of it, uh, you know, John Moxley fucking puts Naruto away with a sick-looking uh, Death Rider. Like, bro, he fucking in, – in New Japan, he kills people with that Death Rider. Like, yeah, people yeah. do not take the shit like that in AEW. It's, no. it's so great. This is a strong-style paradigm <laughs> shit. <laughs> um. No, bro, it's not. The paradigm shift, I've come to the conclusion the paradigm shift is a different move than the Death Rider. They look the same, but they hit they, different. Yeah. <laughs> it's different, bro. It's not the same shit. Yeah, dude. He, he kills it with the Death Rider. Um, and, you know, I love this. Uh, bro, and, and also, every week when he comes out, which isn't very often, but when he comes out, my girlfriend's always like, why is he so much better in New Japan? <laughs> <laughs> Only because he rules. Uh, yeah, dude. I, I love Death Rider, John Moxley. And I also love that the continuation of the story with um, Narita and his, and his finisher that they've been building up. They started in Japan. You know, he, he can do the belly to belly, but it's with the bridge. And Narita special number three, when he gets the bridge and it's game over, he, he failed to get the bridge on, on Moxley here or, or on Dickinson. And so, yeah, Moxley was able to kind of capitalize, get the, the Death Rider, put them away. Uh, Post-match, we had a face-to-face with Nagata and Moxley, and it broke out into a brawl. Uh, Nagata was able to lock in the Nagata lock. He had it locked in, cinched in. All the um, the ring attendants and Chris Dickinson were trying to pull Nagata off. Couldn't get him off. It took five guys to get Nagata off of John Moxley. Yeah, I really like the post-match angle. Really looking forward to the match, which uh, you know we're recording Tuesday, so tomorrow night. Um, by the time you're listening to this, it might've happened or, you know, might be happening, you know, same day, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And, you know, this was awesome. Yeah. Really, really. There's nothing else for me to say. Yeah. Really great job. Just building up the U S title match and also keeping the Dickinson on Arita rivalry alive as well. Um, I love, uh, there ain't, there ain't no rivalry. Narita beat that man's ass. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just playing. Actually, like, that's probably, that's got to be, what, the best strong match ever? Probably, in my opinion. No. No. The Narita filthy match was better. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but they're both up there, man. Yeah. Uh, And I also, I I love uh, Nagata's promos. I I love that he calls him Mr. John Moxley. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. That's been great. And, um. So yeah, a lot of great build here to the U.S. Uh, I think match. he's uh, channeling some um, some Loki energy, you know. Yeah. Also, I, I love that and the guy he came out with a robe. I don't know when the last time he's come out with like, an entrance robe. Normally he comes out with a uh, blue justice shirt, but he had the entrance robe on. He's, he's serious. He, he's he, in America, bro. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's been all over social media, calling himself the world's oldest 53-year-old. I don't know if that's like a weird like translation thing. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he's been doing that. He's always called himself. You know, last year was the oldest 52-year-old. I'll, I'll do my best today. <laughs> I'm the oldest 53-year-old. Dog, no, you're not. There's 53-year-olds that are older than you. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but I love that shit. Like, um, yeah, his, his uh, like, Twitter game, him and, like, Kojima, like, they're on a different level, bro. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. Just putting wholesome shit up between them and Suzuki sharing his stance socks every day. Like, I love that. I, I love you know, that generation of New Japan guys, like, it's great. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about the, the U.S. title match, I think now would be a great time to tell who our guest is going to be next week. So, tease the beginning of the I show. I reached out, and <laughs> I said, you know, Dirty Daddy, we need you. We need you on the show. There's no, there's nothing else to talk about at this point. And, you know, you're the best, you know. You you're know. the best around. And he said, absolutely, I'll, I'll do it for you and, you know, not for Jeremy. And so <laughs> me and uh, me and Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson, we're going to be having a one-on-one sesh. Jeremy can listen, but he can't speak or <laughs> contribute. <laughs> That's actually my birthday present is uh, it's just going to be me. And, and here's the thing, guys. We're not going to be talking New Japan. It's just going to be us talking about like UWFI. You know, and Takata and shit like that. So I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not even going to talk about strong. It's going to be weird. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you have that plan. But what's actually happening is yes, <laughs> yes, the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson, will be on Keeping It Strong Style next week. Um, we'll be talking about his wrestling career, time on Strong. He has an upcoming open weight title match against his uh, team filthy teammate, Tom Lawler. We'll be talking about that. Uh, I'm sure there will be some UWFI uh, discussions as well, blood sport discussion. So looking forward to having Chris Dickinson on the show next week. I want to talk to him about that time he fucked up Dan Severn and why he had to go so hard on that man like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, why'd you have to fuck him up for real? <laughs> uh, but uh, That's disrespectful. <laughs> Uh, so like we mentioned, this the main event of Strong this week was to build up uh, the upcoming match here on Dynamite, the IWGP US title match with John Moxley defending against Blue Justice, Yuji Nagata. Uh, we have a few questions here about this matchup. Uh, first, from user Lord underscore McDonald's, assuming Moxley doesn't drop the belt to Nagata this week, who does he drop the belt to? Does he even drop the belt before he makes a return to Japan? Uh, I literally don't know. Yeah, I mean, at this point, with with the, the COVID restrictions and Moxley not being easily able to get in and out of Japan, I really don't see a point to take the belt off of him at this point until you kind of have somebody that's maybe on his level and you're, and you're ready to get the belt back. But I, I think this whole, you know, relationship that they got going here with Moxley being able to work strong and then have some New Japan guys show up on Dynamite, I think is great to kind of get that, that lion mark in front of that uh, million viewers on Dynamite and to kind of have a synergy and building matches on both shows. I think it helps get the New Japan brand in front of some Western eyes and bring some attention there. So at this point, I don't see why he needs to drop the bell until maybe he can go to Japan. 
I don't know, man. I just like uh, I'm. I do kind of get it, but it's like you know, it's not like he's coming out every week on a like on AEW with the belt. Um, I do think it's good that he's defending the title on Dynamite. Um, you know, to kind of get more eyes on the product, awareness, like you said, synergy and everything like that. So that is really cool. I was not expecting it to be honest with you, but in the context of, you know, the fact that it's sort of a trade-off, like we talked about last week, you know, um, the last time they did a big match with him and Kenta, the big singles titles title match was on strong. The preview tag match was on dynamite. This time things are kind of reversed. So it kind of makes sense how they're doing things, but I do wonder how long this sort of um, situation is going to be allowed to kind of persist, you know? Right. Um, I mean, how many other tile defenses um, are we going to see on AEW? It feels like this is kind of a novelty, sort of a rarity. And, you know, with Tony Khan sort of being like a big wrestling nerd, I'm sure like the idea of having Yuji Nagata on TNT after 20 years, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world to uh, to have going for you. I don't know if, what it's going to do for like the overall ratings and everything like that. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have no fucking idea who Yuji Nagata is or anything like that. But, you know, product awareness is important, so that's cool. But I, I'm just kind of at the point where it's like I don't know if it's like um, – I don't know if it's the most beneficial thing in the world to have that title locked down on John Moxley anymore. You know, um, while he holds credibility and he's a big star and some of these things that they're doing are cool. And I'll admit that for sure. I'm also just kind of wondering, like, couldn't you be doing other business with somebody else and benefiting some somebody else by putting that title on their waist that's working for you year round, you know? Right. And I'm, I don't know. I just get the weird feeling that we're not going to see the big trade-off you know like i wonder who is gonna beat him for the title i don't know it feels like it has to be a big name and i don't know you know right and which i feel like with, with it being a big name that will help kind of establish the u.s belt as a top title to be defended in, in japan you know maybe you have a guy like tanahashi come over and he he wins the u.s title in the u.s brings it back or you have somebody like, you know, I know Jay White's currently never a champion, but maybe eventually a guy like Jay White steps up and faces Moxley. I mean, yeah, that's cool and all. Uh, but, you know, like we talked about earlier in the show, I, I sort of feel like they should be focusing on the next generation of young guys. You know, right. When when you have a title ring that has gone on this long, um, with, which has also included some pretty incredible title defenses. Um, in fact, I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed, even though the title has been so inactive and that might hurt the credibility of the, the title reign, historically speaking, when you go match for match, I don't know if anybody else outside of maybe say Kenny Omega has had as good of a run with the U S belt as John Moxley, you know? Yeah. I think, I think you're saying at least since Kenny Omega, no, nobody has had this many good, you know, matches for the title. But I really think the inactivity kind of is the biggest thing that hurts things. And I say all that to say this: it's like if you're gonna build this guy up and 
have him be this dominant champion over this really long length of time, it feels like someone else should get the rub from that, you know? And I, I think it would kind of be, um, just a, a missed opportunity to go with your standard Tanahashi or an Ibushi or something like that. Like, I, I think you need to establish someone else that's younger. And I don't know if AEW and Tony Khan and the politics and everything like that is going to sort of allow it. I thought Kenta kind of was the perfect guy to beat him. And, you know, who knows? We might even see – I mean, I don't think anyone thinks it's likely. But, I mean, we might see Eugene got to beat him tomorrow. I mean, he's a guy that, like, John Moxley probably obviously really respects – and could bring the title back. I think it's highly unlikely because he doesn't lose very much on <laughs> AEW television. Right. Um, but I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. So who knows? Yeah. He could cut up, pull up an upset. Like he did new Japan cup to Zuki pulled that, uh, that blue justice hold out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, I, I do think Mox is winning. Do you think that it, there's a story to maybe tell with juice Robinson being the guy to kind of beat him, get the belt back. <laughs> not not the way he's dressing and looking these days. No, I, 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 I like the current look he has right now with, with the afro and the, the kind of blue and gold gear they have got going on. Nah, bro, cultural appropriation, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But no, in all seriousness, um, I just uh, I don't know. The, the the reality with Juice is Juice as a singles competitor, as a singles as a serious singles competitor, has not been the same. Since he dropped that belt to John Moxley, right. So, is there a story that could be told? Yes, but I don't think it's a story of sudden redemption via beating John Moxley's the key. I think that they needed to have been telling this story for at least some period of time, and they haven't even started telling that story. So, I don't know, man. I'm I'm not really there with you right now, to be honest with you. I think they need to. Uh, I mean, he, he's a tag guy. You know, that's what he is right now. And maybe down the road, but we're talking a pretty lengthy amount of time. And, like, I don't know how much longer I want to see John Moxley sort of hold this belt in perpetuity, you know, just having the occasional title defense here or there. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, th- I think it'll be firewood, especially if we're going to get more uh, of – it being featured on Dynamite. I mean, this past week he had matches on Elevation and Dark. He came out with a title for both shows. Uh, the Road Two show they did on YouTube had a great um, feature there, building up this U.S. title match and talking about the U.S. title defenses and talking about Yuji Nagata and kind of just explaining his history. So that that was, that, that was some great stuff. If you guys haven't seen the Road Two show, you should definitely check that out. And so they're, they're doing a lot of stuff to kind of. Get the New Japan name out there and build it up. So I think if but yeah. but at the same time too, I mean, is there a possibility that and and yeah, it's synergy. Is there a possibility that some folks who are watching AEW will maybe potentially be turned on to New Japan? In the past, I would say not not really because I would just figure the majority of the fan base knows New Japan already, right? But as they've kind of grown a home-based audience and we've had some time to kind of separate those, you know, the elite from New Japan, yeah, I think there could be an audience that's being exposed. But I also wonder if maybe this is something where AW is kind of just hoping to bank on the idea that 
those who saw Mox in Japan and those who are familiar with the AEW product via the stars from New Japan tune in to watch this and maybe it's a, it's a chance to kind of snap, you know, nab them up as, uh, as viewers. And the reality is like, sure. There's some nutsos like us who are diehards and watch everything, but there's only so much attention you can kind of devote to one thing. And, you know, for most North American viewers, is it going to be the product that is sporadic or, you know, on on a app that's in Japanese or is it going to be the show that's consistently on week in and week out on TNT and everything like that like you know so that's I don't know I'm kind of I think it almost might benefit AEW more that they're sort of get, kind of getting a little bit of a rub from featuring New Japan like this is the cool fresh exciting thing that we're doing that WWE doesn't do we're working with outside companies right check us out and then they're the ones who are kind of getting the the bigger benefit from this than I think maybe even New Japan really is. Yeah, I will say one thing. There does definitely need to be more of a push, I think, of NJPW World and where to watch Mox when he's on there. Because uh, for, for the Kenta match, I didn't really mention, like, New Japan Strong or tell you how to watch the matchup. And then uh, this preview tag match, they really didn't mention the, the preview tag match or... Um, I mean, they sh- on the road to they showed clips from it, but they never really said, you know, you can subscribe to New Japan World to watch this tag match, or they didn't really build, hey, go watch, you know, Mox and Dickinson against Narita and Nagata. So, the- well, that that's all great and good and everything. And again, I think this is a make good for the push previously with Kenta, but let's think about it this way the last time that there was this kind of synergy, everything was pointing to a big match that was occurring on new japan world right right so in that situation yeah i do think that the better the person who got the better end of the argument was new japan in this case i think clearly AEW is the one who's benefiting more because while yeah new japan's kind of being featured you know it's a new japan talent and a new japan title AEW is the one that's going to get get the you know the rating for right. it. You know, they're yeah. going to get the advertising money for it and everything like that. And it's great that they're pointing people towards NJPW world. But well, at the end well, of the day, not really though. They, they should be doing it more. They really don't. I don't think they really said like NJPW world on the air. Okay. I thought you had just mentioned that because I didn't no. watch those other shows. No. I thought that's something that you'd said. No, that's what I was saying. Like they, like they showed the clips from the tag match, but they never really said, this is on NJW Strong. You watch this every Friday on New Japan World. I misunderstood. I thought you said they were doing that, and I was like, okay, that's great, but you know, and that's good. But even even if they had been doing that, which they need to be, so 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 much fewer people are going to do go out of their way to subscribe and pay money for that versus free television network cable. You know, right? Yeah. So that's that's my one thing. Like, and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I think this is cool, but I also I'm a realist about the situation. Like, I think in this case, it's kind of benefiting AW more more than it is New Japan. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from Ready to Wiz Factor. As much as I'm excited for the U.S. title match, is there a risk that the strong style wrestling will not go over with the TNT audience? I'm sure many hardcore fans. Are looking forward to this match, but maybe Japanese style wrestling has never gone mainstream in the West for a reason. Nah, 
I totally disagree. I mean, every time guys go out there and they beat the fuck out of each other, people love it. So <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think this match is going to like tank the ratings at all or anything. I mean that they've done a good job in, in hyping it up. I think it's billed as the, the main event for, for the show. Um, I would disagree with you there. Wait, well, if, uh, you think it's going to, it's not going to do well in ratings. No, I, I don't think they've done a good job promoting it whatsoever. So, and this this is where I think you and I defer. I uh, If you are watching their social media, and if you are watching the supplementary programs that they put out on YouTube and things like that, yes, they're covering it. Yeah, it's being promoted. But where's the real promotion for this company? It's on the television product. There's been... They haven't had any of those features that you mentioned in the road twos on the TV show. Well, I mean, last week that's, Dynamite Mox cut a promo on Nagata. They did show like the, the clips of his like U.S. tile defenses and, and Nagata's. They did, one, they did. They did one week. That's not enough. They announced it two weeks out, and then a week before it, they shoehorned his promo and then some some footage. That's not enough to make sure that this performs well. It's I don't think it's going to perform that well, to be honest with you. Your average viewer who does not view the outside supplementary stuff doesn't really know who Nagata is and don't really have a strong reason to be invested in this emotionally for any real reason. Now, it might do well if the match is, in fact, good, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm just telling you, like, from from a perspective of someone who doesn't watch AEW, there hasn't been that much promotion for it on the actual television show, which is where the majority of people who follow the product right. get most of their information. Yeah, but I don't see it like completely running viewers off. And I don't think No, I don't think it's I don't think it's gonna run people off, but I I mean, we were kind of surprised that the Kenta match didn't do so hot, and I think it's a similar situation. People didn't know Kenta either, you know? Right. Yeah, but I don't think the strong style aspect of the match is going to, like, go over the head. I mean, this is going to be a live episode. There's going to be a live crowd. Um, you're going to have a hardcore fan base that's at the show that's going to enjoy it, and I think I think a lot of people are going to end up enjoying this matchup. Oh, I, I'm really looking forward to the match itself. I think it's going to be awesome. And I think there's – the reality is most people have a bloodlust. There is a reason why, f- you know, fighting, boxing, and things like that, you know, um, go over well with people viscerally is because there's not – it's not that complicated. Two guys going out there and punching each other and hitting each other and it, and it being very snug, tight, and, you know – you hear the pop, you hear the sound, you see the the the, the contact. That's always going to go over well with wrestling fans. Like I I don't think at all that those who are watching are going to be you, you know are going to see the action and decide to go take a bathroom break. I think the one other good thing this match has going for it is, while yeah, people might not know Nagata, Mox is a huge rating star. So the fact that right. he's in a big title match of any sort that's still going to work in their favor, so. Yeah. Should be interesting to see how everything plays out with the match and the ratings um, later this week. 
so questions from Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on the upcoming IWGP US title match between Moxley and Nagata. And is it possible that we could get a IWGP US title on an AEW pay-per-view in the near future? Hmm. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but I don't know if they have the license to... Uh, let me put it this way. I don't see Gato allowing them to book a feud for his title on their product at all. I don't see them being able to do that whatsoever unless like unless Gato was heavily involved, that might change things, you know, but without that aspect to it, no, nah, I don't see it. Right. I feel it would have to be a situation where the guy whoever's challenging would have to be featured on Dynamite for multiple weeks. So it can't be the kind of random, oh, by the way, you know, at, at Double or Nothing, Mox is going to face Kojima. Like, no, it, I think the guy would have to be on Dynamite three or four weeks, do some preview matches on Dynamite, kind of build it up, do some promos to build up for the well, pay-per-view. In that scenario, you're mentioning, like, if a New Japan guy of some sort were to come into the company and challenge. But, you know, there's also the alternative. What if, like... For instance, I don't know, Ricky Starks or Darby Allen or someone like that got a shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Someone – but I, I – this isn't like we, – we did see Kenny Omega uh, defend the, the AAA Mega title. But like that's a title they don't give a fuck about, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I just don't see New Japan sanctioning or allowing anything like that to happen. Right. I, fe- I feel like it would have to be a New Japan guy. Who knows? Maybe they could even – Agree with something like uh, Mox Archer, like a former New Japan guy, like Mox and Archer, or maybe like Mox and uh, Carl Anderson, somebody that they kind of have a relationship with. Uh, but that they try, I think as long as Mox is not losing, I don't think it'll be as big of a deal. But I think if it's going to happen on pay per view, they, they probably would want a New Japan guy on there. Yeah. Then, uh, last question here from Rainbow and Slam Pig What is your favorite Yuji Nagata match of all time? Oh, that is a tough, tough question. Um, do you have one specifically? See, I mean, this, this is tough because, you know, I haven't really watched, like, I didn't really watch all of his run in real time. A lot of it's been, a, you know, recommended match of the week or kind of re-watching stuff, just watching his current run. But one of the matches that kind of pops up into my head, and I think a lot of people might laugh at it, but it's from the G1 2017 um, Yuji Nagata versus Yoshihashi is actually one of the first Yoshihashi singles matches I ever seen, and it made me think Yoshihashi was like super raw at the time. But that match was really a was an awesome match, very hard hitting. It, it was a great matchup. Um, while I wouldn't say this is Nagata's best match, it's probably my favorite match is the match from January 4th in the Tokyo Dome 2004 against Kensuke Sasaki, the bloodbath match. Yeah, we watched that as a recommended match of the week. Yeah, that match was awesome. Yeah, that match is awesome. And it does not get enough love. And it's probably the bloodiest match in New Japan history. (laughs) So yeah, uh, I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot of Nagata matches that I like a lot, but that's, in my opinion, you know, it's my favorite one. Yeah, I also really enjoyed the the match. That's the the free match of the week this week. The match with Suzuki from Wrestle Kingdom. That was a pretty good matchup. Oh, free match of the week! I was like, that's not what you recommended to me. <laughs> no, 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 the uh, the New Japan free match of the week. 
which which match with Suzuki is it? That's the Wrestle Kingdom match. Yeah, Wrestle Kingdom seven. Yeah, that match is awesome. I mean, the series he had with Naga- or with uh, Suzuki last year is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, the match with Ishii from New Japan Cup 2019 is like fucking nuts. Uh, the Kijimuto G1 final in 2001 that we we've, we've covered that. Um, his whole series with Tanahashi. Yeah, um, Tanahashi matches are great. Yeah, yeah. The April third, two thousand eleven match. That's uh, probably Nagata's best singles match of all time, um, and that's like one of his final IWGP title shots. And but they had a feud in 07, a feud in 010, 11. Like, yeah, their matches are great. Him and Kenta Kobashi and Noah. Like, there's a lot, man. Uh, him and Murakami in 2002 at the Dome. That's another bloodbath. That's that match is fucking crazy. So I mean, yeah, there's there's some really great stuff out there. Yeah, but I also just love seeing and gotta beat up young lions. So yeah, there's that too. <laughs> um, so we have some matches upcoming booked for the next couple of weeks of Strong on this Collision Tour. So night two of the Collision Tour will happen this coming Friday, May 14th. We'll have Rocky Romero facing a debuting wrestler named AJZ. We'll have the return of the headbanger El Fantasmo as he teams up with Hikaleo to take on Leo Rush and Fred Rosser. So continuing those two feuds there. And then the main event will have the elimination match with Carl Fredericks, Brody King, TJP, and Clark Connors taking on Team Filthy, Tom Lawler, Chris Dickinson, J.R. Kratos, and the returning Danny Limelight. Then on May 21st, night three of Collision, we'll have a no disqualification match between Fred Rosser and Hikaleo. And then the Collision Tour will conclude Friday, May 28th with the first ever NJPW Strong Openweight Championship defense as Fifty Tom Lawler defends against the Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson. Like I mentioned, Chris Dickinson will be joining us next week and we'll, we'll be asking him about this upcoming Strong Openweight Championship matchup. Yeah, we're going to get real. Um, Rambo and Slam Pig has asked us, are we aware of any interviews or discussions about Shibata's philosophies as a trainer and or how he runs the L.A. Dojo? I'm really fascinated by the dojo system in general and how the L.A. and Japan ones contrast. Yeah, I, mean, I know there's there's the the, the California Dreaming uh, thing that they did on him that kind of looked at the L.A. Dojo um, we really don't have a ton of information on kind of how he trains. I mean, we do. We have a, a, a friend here on the wrestling, the Florida independent scene, uh, who attended one of the LA Dojo tryouts, and it just hasn't worked out for us to have him on here. But uh, I'm sure he can probably give us a little bit more info on kind of at least the Dojo tryout. But as far as like the day to day and kind of the differences between the LA Dojo and the New Japan, the Dojo in Japan, I'm not really sure. Uh- Honestly, because there's there haven't been that many interviews, I would say Google. Google's going to be your best bet. There have been some interviews, especially when they were running uh, some of these shows out in L.A. around that same time when he was in the area. Uh, we we kind of got some interviews with Shibata, kind of getting his insights, and then, like you mentioned, the documentary. But other than that, I mean, I don't. There's not much more that I know. Just kind of the tidbits we hear on commentary, the things we hear from the wrestlers, that sort of thing. Right, and we had um, Carl Fredericks on last year who kind of talked a little bit about the, the, the training and the schedule there at the L.A. Dojo. That's in the archives. You can go back to our interview 
for Carl Fredericks last year around this time. Um, besides that, yeah, that, that's about what we got. Maybe uh, Dickinson might have some insight for us uh, next week. So uh, real quick, it's a few quick news items here. Uh, there is a interview on NJWW1972.com called What Next with Kota Ibushi. First part of two-part interview. His first interview after his world title reign. Kind of the big talking point coming off of that interview is him saying that, you know, majority of people were not happy about the the merger of the, the invocation of the, the heavyweight title and the IC title. I think he said something like 99% or something like that of people who were not, uh, were not happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so once again, it seems like they're trying to, you know, kind of kayfabe their way through this and kind of put the blame on, on Ibushi. Yeah, this wasn't no stop the steal shit. This was unanimous. No one no one wanted that shit. <laughs> uh, like I mentioned earlier, the, the free match of the week from New Japan is Morozuki versus Yuji Nagata, Wrestle Kingdom 7 in the Tokyo Dome. That's free on YouTube and NJPW World. Uh, and now uh, some Impact updates. So last week on Impact, El Phantasmo made its Impact debut by defeating VSK. Uh, ELP this coming up week he's going to be in a number one contender X Division scramble match where the winner will face the X Division champion Josh Alexander at the Under Siege Impact Plus special this Saturday May 15th also this week on Impact we had Gallows defeating Juice Robinson as they build up a six man tag at the Under Siege Impact Plus special it's going to be Finn Juice and Eddie Edwards taking on Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers. So that's what's going on. Um, an impact with these uh, New Japan guys here. And then we just have a few more questions here. And then recommended match of the week. And we'll close out the show here. So from Grunty Dodds, he asks, If you guys didn't have a podcast, what do you think your NJPW viewing habits would look like? Would you skip the Road 2 shows? Cherry picked the best up, quit all together once Evil became champion. <laughs> I wouldn't have quit when Evil became champion. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, my viewing habits right now are pretty much what they'd probably be either way, um, regardless of the podcast, because, you know, my schedule has been extremely busy uh, as of recent. So, I mean, it's pretty much when there's a big event, I watch all of it. When there is like road two shows right now, honestly, I'm kind of skimming through most of it unless there's a, a match of significance. If it's, you know, the same young lions tag match, you know, against Hanma and XYZ, you know, Hansai member, like kind of just skimming through it or it's just background noise at this point, like realistically, you know, yeah, if it's, uh, you know, Jado and G.O.D. versus Doki and Techers for the hundredth time. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, um, because of the abundance of Road 2 shows with the abundance of rematches, it's kind of made matches that were already seen as being redundant by a, a large portion of the audience, even more so. And, you know we're getting fewer and farther between um, actual progressions of the storylines because quite frankly, very often they don't know where they're going because, you know, they're having to kind of play it a little more uh, conservatively because, you know, how can they commit to 
a particular feud if like you know but when the when the day comes they came and do that you know that match or or you know whatever what have you so yeah i mean i would say a lot of these road to shows have become more redundant even if we still are getting as many shows as we've always gotten the actual amount of you know quality story for for a lot of these matches and the stakes and everything that's kind of been lacking yeah you know for me i, I think it would be you know, if you asked me this a couple uh, years ago, it might be different because I feel like the more I've learned about New Japan and I, and I see the Road 2 shows, you do get a lot of the added, like, elements to the big matches. If you watch the Road 2 shows, you kind of see some, you know, maybe there's a, there's a body part that's being worked over, some kind of story that they're telling. But like you mentioned recently, we've, we've seen, like, a lot of redundant matches. It just, it, it's, and it's been a lot. So I think, like, now if I was not doing... Show. I mean, I'd still watch all, all the big shows. I would look at the Road 2 card and see what's on the card. Obviously, if there's going to be like a never six-man title match on Road 2, you know, I'll, I'll watch a, a title match on Road 2. But if it's going to be a long tour where you have the same six-man tag, you know, ten shows in a row, I'm, I'm not going to watch that six-man tag ten times just, just for, for, for fun. Yeah, I mean – it, and this was a totally different story uh, just, you know, back in February. New Beginning Tour, all over those shows, you know, watching the whole thing because they were short and there was some really good shit. But the, this uh, Dantaku, Road to Dantaku Tour kicked my ass. Like, there were so many matches that were rematches. There were so many shows in a short period of time. Like, sometimes, like, you know, enough's enough, man. Like, you know, can't watch that that. Empire versus LIJ, you know, tag match where Bushi's going to get pinned over and over and over again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, last set of questions here comes from Marie's with Dom Homie 101. Uh, first, he says So, what song by Jermaine Lamar Cole, aka J. Cole, remind you of evil? Uh, Deja Vu. Because every time it comes out, the same shit happens. And I swear <laughs> to God, it's deja vu. I don't know what the, like, how the fuck, you know? Another one, lost ones. You know why? Because lately, this man's been losing a lot of matches. And he has to account for all the lost ones that he has. The man's a loser. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Another one, lights, please. Because he keeps trying to make it dark. I'm trying to see the lights, please. <laughs> Fuck evil. Oh man, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not familiar with with J Cole songs, so yeah, yeah bro. Like, I don't. I don't know any J Cole songs. I'm just going through his like pulling up the pull Spotify. I'm just looking at like all the songs that he. Ha, here's another one. No role models, because that man evil ain't no sort of fucking role model. <laughs> Fuck evil. Uh. So his next question, thoughts on the return of FMW? I don't know, man. I haven't even looked into it, you know. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if in 2021 we need um, FMW anymore, you know. <laughs> I mean, I guess in a sense it will kind of be the same because uh, from what I understand, Onita is the one heading it up. But... I don't know, man. It just kind of feels like a cheap, like, cash grab, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, I, like, who's trying to watch, you know, a Sushi Onita wrestle in 2021? <laughs> like, not me. 
Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things of like it's it's kind of similar to the the, the Federation uh, rush thing. It's like uh, like who's funding this? How how are they going to get guys for this like thrustless deathmatch style and draw from it and make money from it and actually you know make it last you know more than one show? Well, I mean, here's the thing, you know, back in and I can't speak for Japan. You know, because I don't know what the economic situation was like. Although I think there, there's always been um, a novelty factor uh, and a showmanship, especially in the early days, to what Onita and crew were doing. You know, and then as time went on, they were able to kind of host a, um, a wide spectrum of talents that the crowd was able to kind of connect to. You know, most notably Hayabusa, but there's quite a few others. Um, and sort of kind of create their own fan base that, that sort of became diehards. And if you really want to know who you should like look into Bahu FMW, like that dude, Bahu BHU, he's like the keeper <laughs> of everything that is FMW. And so, I mean, if you really want to get the scoop and the information on this, that's who you need to be listening to. But I mean, they, they were able to kind of, they had their time. They were able to cultivate a fan base. They, they had a faithful following. You know, they went through many different phases and, you know, periods of, of the company's history. And then, it, and then it went away. And it's been gone for a long time. And, you know, Onita was gone from it for a long time, too. You know, especially towards the latter end and the latter half of the company's existence. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, is it still FMW? I mean, it, it, basically it's not. It's just a new company with the same name with, with the original founder kind of heading it up but i mean it's gonna be interesting you know there's a dark side of the ring coming out on fmw and um you know there's probably things people don't know about you know the yakuza connections the suicides you know there's some scummy stuff that onita did <laughs> that's gonna like that i mean like diehards know about it but the i think the majority of people don't really know about it but as far as like the the fan base in america there was always this sort of thing where like the people who saw it here, we always kind of felt like privileged, even if the wrestling wasn't that good. It's like, damn, like, you know, most wrestling fans over here are watching like slamboree and I'm seeing an exploding time bomb death cage match, you know? Right. Well, that, that's kind of gone. I mean, I guess there is some element of that still, but I mean, it's so accessible now. I don't know how, um, how much of a novelty that really holds for, a majority of the fan base, you know, right? And this is something that that, uh, that Kim Wood mentioned on Wrestling Observer Radio with uh, Meltzer and, and Gary Gonzalez. He was talking about, you know, he, he felt so special. He he got the Meltzer tapes and he was able to watch, you know, Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid and watch all this Japanese wrestling that nobody else really had access to. And so, you know, and that was a kind of big thing, you know, tape traders. You know, people wanted it was a hard thing to get access. Not everybody saw that, and so you kind of felt you know, special in a little club if you were able to see stuff from Japan. Like you mentioned now, yeah, there. you know, we can watch anything. You know, we, we have New Japan World. You, you can watch, um, you know, there's Cyber Agents thing with Noah and Tokujoshi Pro and DET, and it's so easy, everything's so accessible, so it's not really that kind of, like, exclusive exclusivity of, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is kind of a secreted thing, and I got a hold of it kind of thing. So that, that kind of aspect is definitely gone. Um, so, uh, moving on, he says, now it's time for some fight talk. 
thoughts on the Floyd Floyd Mayweather and Jake Paul gotcha hat confrontation? Was it a work or was it a shoot? In my opinion, I think it was a semi-work on Jake's side, but I think Floyd's reaction was legitimate because he used that hat to hide his lack of a haircut. Floyd got caught lacking, so he had to leave Jake Paul leaking. I also think it's funny how Floyd and the Paul brothers took the spotlight away from Canelo on the week of Canelo Saunders fight. Yeah, I well, that's kind of true, but I mean, I don't think uh I don't think the team, the promotional team behind Canelo are doing the, the most fantastic job um promoting his shit anyways. I mean, his last 3 fights have been very much under um pr- promoted, and I think it has to do with the fact that that you know he split from Golden Boy into Zone, so um, yeah, I don't give a fuck about this thing. You know, I- I'll just be honest with you; I just really don't care about it. Like it's it's kind of beyond circus show. Like I don't really, I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I-, I saw the whole the whole gotcha hat confrontation thing, and yeah, I thought it was just pretty lame. And like that, that's the way you're trying to like build up excitement for this fight. It's- do that kind of yeah. blame confrontation. So, I don't know, man. I'm 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 seeing the Triller lawsuit that's coming out, um, and it, and it actually got thrown out like yesterday by the judges or whatever. And you know they're trying to sue this H3, whatever that is, some it's guy like, it's on like a YouTube. YouTube podcast network thing. Yeah, and the, they're going after him because he's calling out Logan Paul for you know his sexual abuse allegations, which are probably true. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, Triller, that whole thing, I don't, for those of you that don't know, Triller was, you know, um, trying to create a lawsuit where they were going after reportedly every single streamer, individual person who watched the um, most recent Logan Paul against um, Ben Askren fight. They were going to sue every single individual to the maximum um, penalty, which was, I think, $150,000. And they were trying to get a judge to, like, you know, push forward with the case against all these different streaming sites. And I'm not saying that – I'm not saying I promote streaming illegally or anything. But what I am saying is that they they literally were, like, trying to get, like, two or three billion dollars in this, like, case – yeah, and, and, they, and, and they were trying to say, like, all these people, like, working together. To, yeah, like, that was a conspiracy. Yeah. And then they, they came up with, a, um, a, a like, a web page that said they were going to give people that viewed the stream one month for amnesty where they could pay $50. And if they paid the $50, and it was actually on Fight TV was the um, – was where the amnesty page was set up. If you pay them the $50, you'd be off the hook. You wouldn't have to, uh, <laughs> you'd be released from any further court proceedings. But if you actually read the fine print, that's not true. What they were actually getting people to do was pay them $50 and then be open for any future lawsuits and expose themselves as being someone who definitely streamed. And like to me, it's like these kinds of fear tactics are like, something only a really, really shitty company does. And I'm just seeing the fights they're putting together, the the business tactics they use. Triller's a fucking joke, bro. I, don't, I, I want nothing to do with them. I'm never going to 
watch anything related to them. Stay far away from this fucking company because, and I mean, Mike Tyson, you know, fought in the inaugural Roy Jones fight and like he wants nothing to do with them too. So apparently something funny happened with the money on his side too. So I don't know, man. I, I, I think those Paul brothers fucking suck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was sad to see, you know, fucking Floyd looking old too. Yeah. He, he looking rough. I, but to me, that just, I've never seen Floyd not looking on point. And I'm wondering why he didn't like just shave his head like he normally does. Uh, like to me, it just kind of tells me he doesn't take this shit seriously, you know? Right. I think, like, like at all. I don't think like at I, all I think, on any level. Yeah. I think for him, it's just like a, a quick cash grab. He, he knows he's going to tear this dude apart. And right. He's just going to get, get some quick money. Also, when they, the one thing I will say is when him and Logan Paul did the face off that I did see on Instagram, there's no doubt in my mind he, he fucks his kid up in one round. Mm. I'm talking about fast. That's what it looked like. Like this kid looked like he was looking death in the eyes and he's so much bigger than him too. So I don't know, man. <laughs> Don't give him that, that, that knockout punch. He gave big show WrestleMania 24. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then his last fight question here. He says, any thoughts on Canelo Alvarez versus Billy Ho Saunders fight? In my opinion, it was a fight that exposed both fighters. It's a, or expose, it exposed Billy Ho as a fighter who was just a title holder and not a champion. Billy Ho fought like an afraid fighter and proved to the world that he's just a domestic UK fighter with no heart. I don't want to hear about no injuries because I see fighters with worse injuries that, did, that didn't quit. It also exposed the fact that Canelo was the same fighter that he was when he fought Mayweather. And he's lucky that guys like Terrence Howard, Errol Spencer Jr., and possibly Jam- Jamel Charlo are not super middleweights because he would have tough times with them all but i do believe canelo improved in the mental aspect of boxing and that's due to canelo having big fight experience that's also why i think canelo would be the odds on favorite over the guys at 168 175 and that are also include guys like demetrius andrade and jamel charlo at 160 there also needs to be no more light work for canelo and he needs to fight the best competition because he got a lot of options out there I I totally disagree with most of that, respectfully speaking. But, I mean, first off, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I've never heard of many fighters fighting through a broken orbital bone. I've been watching fighting almost all my life. Um, you know, I can think of a couple injuries that have been sustained by fighters where they kept fighting, like broken jaws and stuff. Um, like Arthur Abraham comes to mind, but... Bro, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> Canelo's one of the fucking scariest, like, strikers at that weight class, and he fucking broke his face. He literally broke his face. Unless you've had your face broken, like, your cheeks and your orbitals smashed, the shit that holds your eyes and your face together, like, I don't know if you should be saying that, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not, a, I've never, I've never been a big fan of when a fighter quits, you know, knowing what these guys go through saying that like they're a club level fighter or didn't have heart or what have you, like, you know, that's usually not the case. (laughs) Um, the only qualm I had with the fight was I thought that the judging, the judges had a little bit too far apart. Um, I, I saw that most of them had it like four rounds 
to Canelo. I kind of thought like he was ahead by maybe three at the most. Um, I thought the fight was good. And I also disagree with that assertion that he's the same fighter that fought against Floyd. I mean, if you watch his body movement and his, you know, ring IQ, that's clearly not the case. And he's fought some very great fighters at all different weight classes, some very slick and powerful guys. And the, the reality is, is Billy Joe Saunders, one of the best fighters at 168 and would probably beat most of the guys that you listed, to be honest with you. Um, and, and some of those guys are undersized too and underpowered, not all of them, but some of them, I mean, he, he already fought Danny Jacobs. Who's just as slick and just as crafty as most of the guys that you listed. And you know, that sort of thing. So it's like, I don't know, man. I mean, until someone beats Canelo, I mean, he's a guy that went up to 175 and fucking destroyed <laughs> Kovalev. Like, he's beaten the best fighters between 154 and 160 and, you know, 175. So, uh, until someone, like, fucking pieces him up, like, I don't know. I, I can't sit here and say that he's ducking it. I mean, he's not ducking those guys. If anything, I think most of them don't want to fight him. Mm. so yeah i mean would i love to see him fight like you know jermel charlo and the charlo brothers and jared hurd or whoever like sure you know but i mean he is right now unifying the 168 weight class he just beat another world champion he's got four or five of the world titles he just has to fight caleb plant and that is the fight he's looking for, and he will be the undisputed 168 champion. And he's undersized for 168. He's a natural he's, – he's undersized for 160. He's supposed to be a 154-pounder. So, like, I don't want to hear this. He got exposed shit because <laughs> this kid's been beating everybody for years and years. And I'm not even, like, a Canelo guy. But, like, come on, bro. He's a fucking killer. He's one of the best ever. He already might be – He's amongst the top five greatest Mexican fighters of all time right now. And he probably is going to go down as the best. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, interesting thoughts there. Might have to have a Dom homie on one one week with you guys to debate this. <laughs> well, I mean, just watch the fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, last thing here, recommended match of the week. So if you, if you listened last week, you know that I, I had originally picked a match that we had already watched. Uh, it wasn't a recommended match, but it was a part of the um, Nakamura series that we did last year. And so throughout the week, I found a new recommended match for Josh to review and talk about. And then you guys also, you can, you can watch it this week along with uh, Josh's pick this week. But I went ahead and picked Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Koji Kanemoto. February 18, 2007, this was for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Josh, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, so I watched this match today, and I got to tell you, Jeremy, I think this might be the best pick that you have ever made for <laughs> recommended match of the week, literally. I Well, A, you know, I'm not the biggest guy when it comes to you know, like mid-aughts New Japan Pro Wrestling. 
you know? So there's a lot of like big stuff I've seen, but I'd never seen this um, Kanemoto-Tanahashi match from the anniversary show. This match was freaking awesome. So, I mean, you had a grumpy old man, um, Kanemoto, who, you know, I, I think is kind of dipping his toes into the heavyweight scene, but spent the majority of his career as a junior, obviously, kind of playing like a dad role. Um, not unlike like a Minoru Suzuki today for kind of for reference. Um, and then, except not as maniacal, but just as badass. And then you've got a young Tanahashi who is in, I believe, his first title reign at this time. Um, and, you know, he's not fully accepted by the crowd as evidenced by the reactions to him. And this match just fucks so hard, bro. Like, Tanahashi's out there, you know, um, trying to be like the ace and the top guy in the company. And, you know, you, you, you see a junior going up against him and you're going to think to yourself like, oh, they're going to play it like a big guy, little guy. No, like Kanemoto beats the piss out of Tanahashi in this match. And it starts with flying knees and then, you know, leg kicks and then all these elbows and slaps. And like, he just starts, bro, these kicks to Tanahashi's chest. Like there's no, there's no thigh slapping going on here. Like these kicks are so fucking loud. And like Tanahashi is getting battered. <laughs> it, was, it was like a re- real man match for Tanahashi. Yeah. This is like Tanahashi's real man match, bro. <laughs> this was not unlike Shibata and Okada. Like that's, a, that's kind of a good comparison. Um, yeah. Uh, just Tanahashi's going through it. And at a certain point, like he realizes like this man is just beating the fuck out of me. Like, you know, I can try to out wrestle him, but it's not going to be enough. Like I'm going to have to fight him. And you know, he's, he goes toe to toe. There's one slap exchange where they're just like both going wild. Like I love this match. Um, I love the psychology around it, the pacing. It only goes like 21 minutes. So it's not overly long. Um, all, all the biggest hits. If you're familiar with Kenimoto's work, you know, he gets all his shit in. It's all violent. And then Tanahashi, you know, is just an incredible bumper, incredible seller. We see him, you know, break out some of the fabled offense that, you know, we haven't seen in years gone by. Some of the uh, past athleticism, you know, great drop kicks and, you know, cool spinning final cut, stuff like that. And then at the very, very end of the match, you know, there's a couple, there's one um, small package where like Tanahashi had kind of turned things around and Kenimoto's just like, fuck this. I'm going to, I'm going to roll his ass up. And he hits him with the small package. And like, I know that he, he never won the IWGP title, but for like a half second, I thought he won. <laughs> Bro. So did I, it was, that, it was literally Tanahashi kicked out at like 2.999. And I was like, yes. holy crap. What a kick out. <laughs> Yeah, the the timing, they milked it. Like, they're just both such great performers. And, you know, they could have easily made this into a match where, like, you see Kenimoto's a no-hoper. But it's not just us watching it. It's the crowd. The crowd, for whatever reason, well, you know, New Japan was in kind of a tumultuous time. And, you know, the the title had been changing hands a, a, a bit more regularly at that time frame. So for whatever reason, they were just really behind Kanemoto. They wanted to see him win. They were really behind him. And then at the end, Tanahashi, you know, breaks it out and he's able to beat him. But we even see a, a kick out from, um, 
Kenimoto of the high fly flow, which I don't know if that was his definite finisher at the time or if it was more of like a uh, um, signature. I don't know if it's a finisher or or one of his uh, signature film or you know moves, but yeah, like I popped for him kicking out of the high fly flow. I was like, holy shit! <laughs> and I was like, man, high fly flow has been weak since '07. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, just a great match. Such a really good little hidden gem. Um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I give it high, high recommendations. I think I like this match um, better than the Kanemoto-Marafuji match that I recommended a few weeks ago, which I, I think most people probably disagree with me. That one's a little more epic and goes longer. But this one's just like such a great little title defense. Like, I loved it. Yeah, this was an awesome match, and yeah, I kind of fell in love with Kanemoto when we did the the final countdown series and reviewed some of his matches in those finals. And so I was like, "Yeah, let me just look up some more Kanemoto stuff." And so he saw that match with Tanahashi. I was like, "Well, this can't be bad." And yeah, it was just awesome, awesome main event, awesome title match. And um, Dave Meltzer went four and a half on it. It's in the the upper eights on. on it holds cage. up, man. Yeah, upper eights on cage match. I'm also four and a half on it. It's an awesome match. Yeah, that one definitely holds up um, 100%. So, um, you know, you kind of got me in a um, late 2000s kind of mood. So wanted to throw something out there. This is actually a match that I've never watched, but it's got high recommendation, so we could both watch it. Um, I have seen the, the previous match between these two from the Tokyo Dome of that uh, January 4th that year. This is the rematch at New Japan New Dimension on March 30th, 2008. Hiroshi Tanahashi against Shinsuke Nakamura. Ooh, nice. Yeah. This is uh, amongst the best matches ratings-wise that these two ever had. But, you know, this is in 2008. So, I mean, you're getting a completely different version than, you know, full-on ace of the universe Tanahashi and full-on, you know, king of strong style Nakamura. This is, you know, the the early portion of the storied rivalry that they had with one another. So um, this is supposed to be the best match between the two of them from that time period. Nice. Looking forward to checking that out. Can't go wrong. Tanahashi Nakamura even with, uh, earlier in their career. So looking forward to checking that out. And we'll be back to review that next week. And also next week, we'll be back with an interview with the number one contender for the Strong Openweight Championship, the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson. We'll also review uh, week two of the Collision Tour. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuperflex.com slash donate. And click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. Network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy, don't just keep me a strong style. Email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have Funny Show Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. We have the Rookie and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Brave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati. The 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2 and Sandy. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the Great Match Generator with Danny. 
Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's you, Bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.